Hi, Oliver Turner, Executive Vice President of Corporate Development at Corora Resources. We're a gold producer uh, focused in Western Australia, producing about 100,000 ounces a year with a fully financed growth plan to expand that production profile to 200,000 ounces a year by 2024. Good to see you. Been a while. Yeah, it has. Yeah. And you're, you're the sole representative for Corora Resources. The rest of them are trapped, imprisoned in Western Australia. That's right. They? Flying the flag of liberty in, <laughs> in England. Yeah. And what are you, what are you having to get out of the uh, show? Well, you know, it's great to be in front of people uh, in person again. There's just a lot of things that you can talk about in person that are just not easy over a 45-minute Zoom call. So mm -hmm. connecting with a lot of investors here in London and been doing some marketing around the show as well. A lot of uh, in-person meetings for the first time in two years for people here. So it's been great to, to be back in front of people. It has been a long time. It has mm -hmm. been a long time. Yeah. But if I, if I look back, I'm kind of, I kind of think about where you entered the company and what the state of play was mm -hmm. then. And at the time, I think people were eager for you to, you know, get moving at hyperspeed, start digging out better hunts, and that would solve all your problems. But mm. you came out of slightly differently. Yeah, absolutely. Look, it's been uh, quite a journey since 2019. Uh, Mid-2019, obviously, we acquired Higginsville. At that point in time, the company was certainly financially unstable, had one great asset, but was very handcuffed by an onerous resort, uh, or sorry, royalty. Uh, we acquired a mill to secure our own milling future, a massive land package, as any investor in Quora is very familiar with today. And then we set a path. Look, we wanted to look two to three years ahead of time. We wanted to lay the foundation to build, first of all, a stable producing company that could support itself financially, generating free cash flow. And then secondly, we wanted to figure out a way to unlock the true exploration potential of these assets and lay the foundation for what we knew could be a much larger producing base. So we start, started out on that path in, in late 2019, started off with renegotiating those two major royalties across both land packages. That was very challenging, but ultimately very successful. And we knew if we were able to dismantle those royalties and reduce those royalties, we'd uncuff the exploration potential in this land package and the production potential in beta hunts. That, see, that, that, that's kind of steady state production, which you, know, you were desirous of. There were a lot, there, you're right, there were a lot of handcuffs, weren't there? Mm. I don't think people understood the, the um, nature of those royalties mm. because it, it affected your margin. Yes. You were basically, you, you know, otherwise you'd been working for free yeah. It, it felt like so it was a big it was a big deal and that, that took a bit of time and, and it took a long time for people to actually understand why you're going through that process uh, from 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 memory um did, was that the right call yeah absolutely look i mean what we uh, negotiated there obviously uh was impressive at the time but i think when you take a longer term view of what the assets have grown into and and the exploration potential that we have unlocked and then the production profile that we now have in front of us we are asking our, our royalty partners, or we were at the time, to take a smaller slice of a much larger pie. Without that first step, we would not have been able to move forward with the exploration work we've done and with laying out this growth profile like we have today. So yeah, it was, uh, it was a challenging step to make, but ultimately the right decision. Right, and, and, and again, looking back, the, the kind of cost structures that you had in place there, because it keeps, okay, I, th I, th I think the ASIC around, when I first started talking to you, it's about 13. 50. It, it was it was high, right? Yeah. And, and you targeted a thousand bucks straight out of the gate. Yeah. A lot of things um, you have to do to kind of chip chip away at that. And I think you're below that thousand bucks. Yep. So that's, that's, that's yeah. good news. Absolutely. Um, so now you're making a lot of cash. Mm -hmm. How are you spending it? Yeah, absolutely. Look, so we have just under 90 million in cash on the balance sheet today. Obviously, we're generating a lot of free cash flow every single quarter. That is 
despite us deploying $60 million into right. earthworks and, and pre-production activities ahead of this growth plan over the course of the year. So we are in fact generating even more cash. That $90 million is going to be part of the allocated budget for that growth plan over the next two and a half years, which we, you know, includes the mill expansion, the underground expansion at Beta Hunt, as well as some new equipment that we're going to need for, for both of those operations. So that $90 million covers a, a huge portion of that capital requirement, along with the operating cash flow that we'll be generating over that period. So it was very important for us to build a stable foundation, not only so we could budget that growth plan going forward, but also so that investors could see that we had the cash to cover that period. You have to demonstrate that. If we were sitting here with $15 million on the balance sheet today, it'd be a much different discussion with investors because there would be a financing loom, right? You'd have financing pressure on the stock. There is none of that today. And that was carefully calculated two years ago, realizing we needed to build out that cash balance. I think it's important because, again, again, looking back, so I sort of look back a bit, but it just gives me a view of how you're going to approach the future, right? Yeah. You know, and I think in Paul's first few weeks, he kind of got caught short with, you know, do you need money, not need money? Yeah. I don't think we need money. And then I have to go and raise some money. And there's yeah. some, if not forgiven him for that, yeah. but everything he's done since then has been, and I think we understand you know, what, what happened there, but he's delivered on every single front. And you Absolutely. guys have delivered on every single front in terms of that steady state production. So your, your company that I, I point to as a turnaround story for, mm. for, for sure. Looking at this exploration component though, that's where the growth bit comes in place. Yes. Right? Because once you reach a, a certain size, I think people stop looking at you as a leverage play and they, they perhaps look towards this sort of smaller companies. You are, I haven't given guidance yet for next year, obviously, mm. but you're, you're gonna hit this year's target presumably the guidance that you've issued, that's mm. 105 to 115 yeah. sort of number. We can expect to see that go up? Um, well, what I would say is here, look, we're sitting here halfway through November. Um, we're sitting very comfortable with our guidance, uh, both on a production and on a, on a cost basis. In fact, we're tracking towards the better end of both, both of those guidance metrics. Next year, um, we expect to, you know, to increase our production by, by a certain margin as we've laid out in our growth plan. But what's important is that that's also going to lay the foundation for the next two years after it, which gets us to that 200,000 ounce a year mark. And one thing I will mention, just to come back, because it is important to, to note, when we acquired Higginsville, the company had a very, very skinny balance sheet, let's call it. Okay, so there was the acquisition uh, debt financing that was used as part of the mill acquisition. However, whenever you're starting up a mill, particularly a, bill, a mill that you've bought, is important that you are well capitalized from a working capital perspective in case there are slips in what happened with that mill and with the restart of those operations. So that original raise at that point in time was there to provide that buffer. Now, fortunately, we did not need much of that working capital buffer, but had it been the other way around where we didn't have that cash available, you know, you would have been financing at much lower, much lower rates and uh, sorry, much lower prices. Um, and it would have been more challenging for, for the company. So that was a critical raise in order to provide us the foundation, which we've built over the last two and a half years. And then to come back to your other point in terms of starting to look ahead of where we're gonna be two years from now, we're already thinking where we're gonna be two years after 2024, the end of that growth. Well, that, that's what I'm getting at. So that's the bit that genuinely interests me now. If I was coming in afresh, that's the bit I wanna focus on, which is you, you're generating all this free cash flow, which is fantastic, and you gotta work out where to allocate it, the best way to allocate it. Yeah. And the mentality so far seems to be, let's do this in the right way to manage the full potential of the various core bodies that we, we've, we've got in the portfolio. Yeah. Uh, rather than let's create some headline numbers yeah. because that is not the way that big, successful, fundamentally uh, driven companies operate. So yeah. 
what are you going to need to do with the cash, which may not immediately you know, convert into value as perceived by certainly retail? Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, one of the first things I'll say is we're putting $20 million into the ground every year, right? That is That's a- drilling. Drilling, yeah, okay. absolutely. So in, both in exploration and resource definition, $20 million, in fact, it's closer to 20 to $25 million every single year. That is the largest exploration budget that that land package has seen in the last 15 years, right? That is a, that is a senior gold producer budget for that land package. And that is going to drive potential, both in terms of, yes, there are going to be some headlines. We put some out right Monday this week, you know, those two new discoveries at Beta Hunt, which yeah. we can talk about a little bit later. Yeah. Fantastic headlines. But it's also going to help to build the scale in terms of larger deposit sites, particularly at Higginsville. And when you start to think about who our neighbors are in that jurisdiction and the scale and the size of deposits that they have, when you think about what is attractive to larger companies and what makes a mid-tier producer, right? We are a junior producer today, yeah. expanding into a mid-tier producer. We need larger deposits. We need to build up our resource inventory. So a lot of the drilling that we're doing is going to be adding to resources every single year after depletion. It's not gonna be targeting you know, the highest single grade drill hole that we can possibly drill to get you know, a 10% stock rise off a single hit. That's a junior explorer co and developer mentality. We are now growing into that mid-tier status. So we need to build large scale, long-term value in order to you know, transition into that next phase. I, I read a PowerPoint this week. We're speaking to lots of companies this week and I read a PowerPoint this week by a company, 50 million bucks company. One of the pages says, we are working towards being a billion dollar company. Yeah. I thought, might be one or two stages to talk about between now and, and, and that yeah, point. Yeah. But it's the same, the same for you guys, yeah. right? You've had a great, you've great year. I mean, you were at what, 307 when we spoke to you and 487 today. Mm. People are reacting to certainly some of the grades that you're finding, the, the amount of projects, the amount of drilling, et cetera. So you're, you're getting that recognition, but you too need to take the next step and yep. the next step and the next step. And, you, and you, you, you need to help the market understand what each of those steps is gonna be cumulatively because if you want to be a mid-tier, like you're talking the language of being a mid-tier, mm -hmm. that's not going to happen the next year or the year after. Mm -hmm. It's going to take a while, that's right? right? And you, you want you want people to be sort of cognizant of the way that you build that company, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. And and I mean, when you look at what we have organically right now, what we're going to be building over the next several years, right? So let's let's fast forward to 2024. Mm -hmm. We get to that 200,000 ounce a year mark. All right, 2.5 million tons of per annum is going through that expanded mill. At that point in time, we will still be mill constrained. Yep. We have more feed than we can fit through that mill. So right. it becomes a great prioritization game. And when you look at the scale of the assets that we have, mm. they can feed far more than 2.5 million tons per annum. So that starts to get the wheels turning in terms of, okay, how do we get more exactly. milling capacity, right? Is it potentially a new mill construction further down the road? Is it a mill acquisition further down the road? These are all strategies that we're evaluating today and have been for the past year on what comes after 2024. And that's what the land package that we currently have. So um, we're very fortunate that we are not a company that needs to go out and you know grab all, all these smaller assets in order to feed our mill beyond the next five years. Yeah. We've got the feed there, we've got the scale there. We need to do two things. One is put the dollars into the ground to drill out these targets. We talk about the sleuth trend a lot now on Lake Cowan. That is a potential large target there. Um, we need to, so we need to put the dollars into the ground and then we need to think about what do we do in 25, 26 when we're still mill constrained? How do we get more milling capacity on board? And that's something we're starting to think about. 
Yeah, and I, I think what's quite nice is the fact that not only are you thinking about them, but you're not worried about the money side of things when you're thinking about them. No. That's a meaningful change from two years ago. Absolutely. I mean, it's, 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 nice, it's nice, nice and day. Yep. Um, well, I'm, I'm trying to kind of get rush through a few things here because I know you've got people to see over at the conference, but I've, I've got to talk to you about something that you've done recently, which is, is pretty impressive and certainly very topical at the moment, which is this kind of, you know, um, whether you want to call it a zero carbon initiative or, you know, carbon neutral yep. uh, position that you're putting yourselves in because the big funds, you're, you're becoming more and more institutionalized. Mm -hmm. I can't remember what the number was when we first met. Was it was it five percent or ten percent institutional? It was. Yeah. Where are we much now? Lower. We're well anywhere between reporting and non-reporting because it's important for investors to understand that not every fund reports their their holdings in a company. Mm -hmm. Right. Over nine point nine nine percent, you have to disclose. Yeah. Below that, you can elect to disclose or not, and then you choose not to disclose for many reasons. We're between fifty-five and sixty percent institutional now. Okay. That, that, that's got to help. That's got to yep. help. Um, not that you're rushing to the market for any money any, anytime soon. But let, let, let's talk about that initiative. Why did you go early on that one? Because you've yep. presented a report. Yeah, like yeah, absolutely. So this is something we've been working on since uh, late 2020. Um, you know, understand, understood that this is where the world is going. Um, you know, there's there's many reasons to, to care about it. And there's many reasons why it's important. But purely from you know, the capital markets perspective, a lot of the conversations we were having in 2020 with larger institutions that we were targeting, mm. you know, they love the asset. They loved what we'd done with it over the last couple of years. They're impressed with the management team. They saw the potential of what this company could mm -hmm. be. However, one of the you know one of the things that they talked to us about was, and so what is your climate action plan? Yeah. Right. This is becoming more and more relevant to the larger fund managers in the world. And just as a quick aside here, you know some of the interesting information that came out of COP26 last week, mm -hmm. you know the the, the uh, environmental conference up in Glasgow, was that. The Net Zero Asset Managers Alliance, which is you know a, an alliance of active fund managers, right? In yeah. terms of the ones that want to see climate change happen, uh, or sorry, see it not happen, climate action happen. It, Fifty-seven trillion dollars of hundred trillion dollars are now signed up to that asset managers initiative. So over half of the world's actively managed funds are now driving this initiative, and that matched up with a lot of the conversations we were having late last year in December of last year. That number was nine trillion. It's fifty-seven trillion dollars today. Yeah. So fast forward to today, we made a really bold statement in June, July of this yeah. year when we announced the partnership with the Net Zero company. We said we're going to take a look at Scope One, Scope Two. We're targeting carbon neutrality for this year, and then we're going to roll out a, a longer-term roadmap to actually reduce emissions and reach net zero at a future date. Then, obviously, ahead of Beaver Creek in September, mm. we announced that we are officially carbon neutral. We funded some fantastic projects in Australia, afforestation projects to battle some of the effects of what happened with the bushfires, which is fantastic. Since that date, the re-engagement by a lot of these funds that we had talked to previously, large institutions, mm. has been fantastic. Love to see it. You're now the first carbon neutral gold producer. We can now start buying more. And you know, I cannot disclose names or sizes of positions of funds, yeah. but it's just suffice to say people that did not buy us before that have now been buying us actively. It's it's really interesting change in, in narrative, and I'm I'm not sure how much of it was COVID because you you, you had these conversations early on yep. in 2020. So COVID came in March, so everyone knows. Um, but do you think that the impetus changed because people are sitting at home going, "Man, there's there's quite a few good you know pictures of dolphins in the, in, in Naples or where, yeah, where, yeah, where, yeah. where it was or Venice, sorry, Venice, yeah. and uh, which wasn't true, but yeah. uh, you know what I mean. <laughs> the, 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 the feeling the feeling was, oh, this is much better, less cars, less pollution, less traveling. It's fantastic. Do you think that has helped 
driver narrative and politicians have latched onto it and you know they've been you know this is this is cop 26 right there's been a lot of cops before this talking yep. exactly the same topic but now the impetus is it, it's more meaningful it's mm-hmm. much more um, you know palpable um, yep. in terms of not just politicians but you guys in mining who needed to get your act together for a long time actually listening yeah did you get it straight away when when the funds were talking to you at the beginning of last year yeah, hundred percent. Like, I mean, maybe maybe call it a, a product of being a millennial and and kind of growing up with that sort of mindset. Don't remind but, us. Uh, yeah, <laughs> far too young. <laughs> but uh, but it is it is something that you know uh, has accelerated you know meaningfully over the uh, over the last uh, year and a half. Look, mm. we saw global emissions decline by about eight percent last year when everybody hit pause on travel and you yeah. know industry was was winding down. This year, we're on track to grow by sixteen percent. So it, it's is back on track with emissions growing right across the world. Um, I think. That pause put a you know put climate change in the spotlight and mm-hmm. allowed a lot of people to really cha- channel their energy into it. That basically married with the fact that you know regulatory pressure was increasing. So we've seen carbon tra- taxes across the world increasing. Uh, we've seen uh, reporting requirements from companies like or reporting agencies like IFRS get ramped up. We're seeing social pressure from certain generations, um, and now even older generations are are starting to get it too. Um, we're now eight years away from 2030, which is one of the key milestones for emissions reductions. Mm. So all of that has kind of come together at the same time that the investing public, the Gen Z and the millennials are starting to get larger in terms of the amount of capital they have to allocate. And they genuinely care about pushing these narratives. It is their future, it is their children's future that happens, right? So more capital that's being deployed is going into ESG funds, into ESG focused ETFs. So capital flows, regulatory pressure, we had a visible demonstration of what can happen when you kind of ramp things down a bit last year. Mm. And all that's come together at COP26. You know the feedback that uh, you know people that were there have, have handed over to us was was fantastic. I mean, there's definitely some constructive steps that have been made. There's far more that need to happen, but it's all happening now. And the last thing I'll say on this too is we've now reached an inflection point in technology where a lot of the renewable selections that we can make in terms of equipment, in terms of power solutions, mm. now make more financial sense yep. than their combustion engine counterparts. The total cost of ownership of an electrified fleet now is lower than going out and buying a diesel fleet. Okay. Right? So there's all these things are coming together. Technology's there as well. So it makes a lot of sense. And you're right. The mining sector have been in the crosshairs for a long time, rightfully so. However, it's very important to note the mining sector is also going to get us out of this problem. You need these critical metals, right? These are important for electrification. So rather than just being the problem, why not be leaders in the solution? Yeah, I, th- I think that's interesting. Maybe it's a, a, another conversation you and I can have about the yeah. w- whether it be remediation or, or, or otherwise and recycling, etc. Because I think th- that whole food chain needs to sit and work together, and I think it needs to be tracked, and monitored, and people need to be held accountable yeah. where, where they should be for another day. Uh, nickel. Go talk about nickel. Yeah. Uh, I, I said I would keep this short. I'm not. Uh, oh, it's a good little spin for yeah, critical, I, critical metals into nickel. See what I did yeah, there? there yeah. And um, so RNC used to be a nickel company, obviously, yeah. back in the day. Yeah. And it looks like you're finding, and then you became a gold company and successfully uh, you're finding a lot of nickel, a lot of high-grade nickel. 
how you're approaching that, how you're feeling about that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, the irony, right? I know. Um, but uh, you know, certainly not complaining uh, given the grades that we've been hitting down at 50C. So yeah, you're right. So so Beta Hunt, um, for those of you sort of newer to the story, Beta Hunt was a nickel operation for the better part of 30 years prior to becoming a gold operation. Mm. Um, so there's still a lot of remnant nickel around. In fact, our current resource is around 16,000 nickel tons at 2.7 to 2.8% nickel. Now, uh, last year, we really ramped up some of the nickel exploration efforts after we discovered a brand new nickel zone above the Larkin zone called mm -hmm. the 30C, literally within five to 10 meters of it. Fantastic grades, they're up to 7% nickel. Um, and obviously given where nickel is going in terms of price, we started scratching our heads saying, hey, this could be interesting from a byproduct credit perspective. Mm -hmm. You know, a few months back, we announced the discovery of the 50C, which kind of puts the 30C to shame with respect to nickel. It's looking fantastic. It's right next to the old Beta South mine. That was a large contributor to the 32,000 nickel tons that Beta, Beta, Beta of the Beta Hunt mm -hmm. produced. Um, and you know, the grades are, are, are just amazing. So we drilled off over an 80 meter wide area, 150 meters of strike extent so far. It could extend for 2.6 kilometers if it's the same length as the trough that's next to it, the old Beta South mine. So you wrap that all up and we've got a potentially higher grade nickel area, um, higher grade than our current remnant area. Mm -hmm. And you know, nickel is certainly something that's more in vogue now, let's say, from a price perspective and from you know, these critical metals perspective. So how do we turn that into dollars and how do we turn that into yeah. stronger byproduct credits? We're drilling as fast as we can there. The limit is not the drilling. In fact, it is, and you've heard us say this all year long for the last two years actually, it is assay turnaround times. And one thing that's really important to note when you're, when you're drilling is you drill several holes, you wait for the results to come back, you drilled in the right place, fantastic, you keep drilling, right? Now, if you're but drilling- But you've got to wait. You've got to wait. That, that point, and what's the wait yeah. time at the moment? Wait time is two months. Right, so you drill, Yep. you stop yep. for two months yep. before you can work out where to go next, whether you carry on or go somewhere else, right? That's right. Obviously, that's not going to happen. So you're moving people around. Yes, exactly. What? Exactly. So we, we that that drill location basically, you know, it's there. It's great, fantastic. Wait for those results. Move that drill somewhere else so it yeah. keeps turning. Right. We've got eight drills in, to in total turning across our sites right now. When you get those results back, then you move those guys back from that spot over there. They continue drilling. The next phase of drilling, once it's confirmed that they're actually drilling in the right yeah. spot. Wait for two months, move them over here. That must be so frustrating. Yeah, oh logistically, it's very challenging. So what can you do about that? You can bring some of that in-house, surely. Yes. Yeah, so have, have you? Yeah, we have. Yeah, no, it's a, a great question. So um, so we moved the, uh, the, we basically created an assay lab on site right. for grade control drilling. Right. So things that you're drilling right ahead of mining, you immediate, need immediate turnaround for, so you can take your next ring, blast it and mine it. Got it. Um, we moved that in-house. So we have that in-house. We've also moved sample prep in-house. So we prepare our exploration samples in-house to expedite some of the work that they have to do in Kalgoorlie. Then we send those exploration results or samples up to Kalgoorlie. Got you, it. That has to be done by a third party. Yeah, it of course. cannot be done in-house, the exploration for, you know, for yeah. verification reasons. So we've accelerated as much as we can, um, but it still is, you know, unsurprisingly, everybody's generating cash, everybody wants to drill. So they're very overwhelmed right now, mm. but we're doing the best we can in terms of moving these drills around. And when we get results, whether it's in nickel or in gold, yeah. um, you know, just like we announced on Monday morning, uh, we release them to the market. Yeah, I mean, yeah, phenomenal numbers there, actually. So yeah. okay, before we finish on nickel, yeah. uh, you refer to nickel credits. That's right. Byproduct there. There's yeah. a dollar number that will be associated with that. And you're yeah. going to say, we'll knock that off the ASIC because we'll, we'll, you know, there'll be a nice contributor to reducing our costs. So 
when do you get a sense of when when those numbers could be you know announced to the market in terms yeah. of what the value of that is? Yeah, for sure. So uh, we're working hard. You know, we we've got that uh, twenty twenty one resource and reserve update that comes in January February. Um, the thirty C nickel area could potentially contribute to that. The fifty C we won't have enough drilling in yet. We just won't have enough drilling to define an actual resource to start calculating numbers. However, by midway through next year, we should have a better handle right. on what the 50C looks like. Okay. And by that point, you know, by the third quarter next year, we could be mining the 50C, right? Which again, just as a reminder, is immediately adjacent to an old nickel mine, right? So we know how it behaves. We know how, uh, you know, the mining techniques that are appropriate in order to mine it. So we will be mining that uh, later next year. And then you'll start to get a sense of the financial metrics. We wish you could accelerate it, but we have to drill that out first, develop the resource, and then we'll put out the numbers. To give uh, some of your, your listeners and investors some context here, in 2020, we generated about $30 an ounce US in byproduct credits mm -hmm. from a remnant nickel mining. That's around that 2.7 to 2.8%. Okay. okay? BHP's right next door. They just take it right off from us. Yeah. We don't process it ourselves. Yeah. If you start looking at some of the grades that we're hitting, particularly in 50C and some of the widths, yeah. now I can't give you a resource grade at this point of in time, not. but you can say it's going to be greater than $30 an ounce. It will be significant and it will be meaningful. And the last thing I will say on that is that is not included in that three-year guidance that we put out. Okay, so, so something to look forward to. Something to look forward to. So the number, it actually could be more powerful than the royalty. Negotiations yeah. on a total value basis, sure. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. That'd be a nice day, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, well, look, Oliver, I know you've got people to see across the road, so I'm going to let you trot over there. But I'd love to see you again. So maybe you can dive down into some of these uh, exploration projects that you've got going on from a technical basis, so people can start to understand how you're approaching it. Yeah. Why you're targeting them them first, um, and what that kind of cumulative package of exploration looks like, because that growth story is what I think people are going to be most excited to hear from mm -hmm. you about whenever you offer guidance, uh, presumably at the beginning of next year. When, yes, when, that's when right. do you normally do yeah. that? What's the yeah, it'll be January, February is a typical February, time yeah. when we'll we'll sort of refresh the 2022 guidance. Fantastic. Yeah. But it could see you. Fantastic. We'll see you soon. All right. Cheers. Thanks a lot.